Hi, I'm Dr. Mitch Harlan, and welcome to the Truth Talks podcast. Today, I'm joined by an amazing guest, but before I introduce them to you, I want to ask that you please like and subscribe below. That way, we can continue to bring you these incredible stories, and if you're already liked and subscribed to our channel, we thank you for all of your support. Hi, I'm Dr. Mitch Harlan, and welcome to the Truth Talks podcast. Today's episode, I have Dr. Damon Friedman on. How are you, Damon? I'm doing awesome. I'm just uh, amped up to be on your show. Super excited. I've heard some of your work, and uh, now it's now I got a, a turn to be on your show. So I'm really looking forward to this interview. I'm super stoked. You know, there was one thing you said. I'm going to read your bio real quick here, but there's one thing that you said in in some uh, research that I was doing. You're you said, I'm 100 pound nothing, I'm five foot nothing. And when I read your bio, there's a whole lot of something and all that nothing there. Hey, you know, I, I just know that uh, I, I was always told when I was younger, you know, big things come in small packages, you know, and, 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 uh, and I realized that uh, a stick of TNT can do some damage, you know? Boy, I tell you what, this, your story, oh my God, the story, I'm, I'm so excited for this story. Let me lead this off. So number one, you are a doctor. Uh, which is, that, that's impressive in and of itself. But let me read just, just this bio. Lieutenant Colonel Friedman is an elite special tactics officer with four combat tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, holds a doctorate in intercultural studies who focuses on PTSD, which we're going to talk all about. He received three bronze stars, which one of those for valor, and the Combat Action Medal. The founder and president of SOF Missions, and executive director of the film Surrender Only to One, which is a movie that creates awareness of PTSD and the suicide epidemic among veteran communities. Did we nail that pretty well? Yeah, I mean, in a nutshell, yeah. I've had a lot of opportunities to, you know, and, and I'm just glad I'm alive. And <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about your drive and how that also creates opportunity. I love you military guys. Uh, I'm a big believer in life is either you, you win or you fail. If you fail, you still get another chance to win. Your story completely encapsulate this, man. I love, love the story. We're going we're gonna to introduce your book at the end. You, you're doing just some amazing, amazing stuff on, on the PTSD front. But you also have some um, actual experiential knowledge in this, this field. So growing up to where you're at now, I want your whole story. Um, born and raised downtown Los Angeles, uh, the most incredible uh, mother in the world from San Juan, uh, Puerto Rico. Uh, I was, uh, my biological father, don't know him too well uh, at all. And, um, you know, she was a single mother uh, trying to raise her twins, um, making minimum wage at $4.25. And um, I lived in 14 different places in the first 12 years of my life. Uh, many people ask, you know, you know, what, what's up with being a vagabond? And, um, and the reality was my biological father was very, very violent. He was very abusive, um, psychologically, um, physically, um, spiritually, uh, did a lot of drugs. And, um, the reality is, is that he was, um, we, we were running away from him. So if you even count it in the first 12 years, 14 different places, and we even uh, moved to the projects in low-income housing, um, mom didn't have much. 
But I'll tell you, my mother, uh, even though she didn't have much, she had a whole lot of courage and she had a whole lot of strength. And I'm going to tell you, uh, that is the first Wonder Woman uh, in my life. And, um, and uh, when I look back with uh, all of the violence and um, all of the um, challenges that she ever had, uh, she exuded a level of strength that is still with me today. Um, and um, when I was kind of growing up, you know, unfortunately, I didn't have too many uh, opportunities. I was kicked out of, um, what was it, like uh, three different schools, one grade. I flunked a grade. Um, and uh, just kind of growing up, there were words that were shared with me that um, till this very day, you know, um, I think about, I reflect. It doesn't affect me the same way that it did beforehand, but, um, you know, just kind of like not feeling good enough, strong enough, not uh, big enough, never really amount to anything. And that really came a lot from my biological father. As I mentioned, he was very abusive to my mother and he was very uh, abusive in his own way uh, to us, to my brother and I, I'm a, I'm a twin. And um, the one thing that he always said, um, even in his, particularly in his violent rages, is that I would never amount to anything without him. That I never amount to anything without my father. And, um, and then throughout my life, he would always call me a loser, a failure. And that really stuck with me. And I actually adopted that philosophy, my own personal philosophy of who I am as a person. And as I was growing up um, now, because my mom, uh, you know, she was a single mother, she had to work you know, 14, 18 hour days. And there was a lot of time that um, she wasn't around. And I started hanging out with the wrong people and um, when I was a kid, I, um, I started, because we were so poor, I started kind of stealing. Uh, I was uh, hanging out with some bad influence. You know, you are who you hang out with, and that's a fact. And um, we ended up getting involved in, in, in breaking and entering and stealing from stores and um, breaking into people's houses, stealing their jewelry, selling them on the streets. I was the guy that uh, took the jewelry and, and sold it on the streets, and I would even take you know, your car. Um, ultimately what ended up happening was it all came down. Um, everything came crumbling down. We were selling some of the memorabilia that we stole from a store. Uh, some pretty expensive stuff, Mickey Mantles, Willie Mays, like golden plates with golden signatures and stuff. And, and, um, police came to the door. And when the police came to the door, uh, I remember he, he, he's knocking, you know, and mom happens to be there that day and they go into our room and there's all the stolen stuff and it's hidden in the corner. And I'll tell you, that was the day that was uh, life-changing. It definitely was a day that um, is one that I still uh, have never forgotten. Um, and I'm going to tell you that that was the first time, and this is super important. That was the first time, like when I look back and I think about, um, my biological father, um, all the times he hurt mom, every time he hit her, every time he manhandled her, you know, um, every time she went to the hospital, right. And she's got these scars, you know, from him hitting her, you know, my mom, there were tears that went down her cheek, but there were tears of pain, but it was different this day. Fast forward. When the cops take us, my brother and I go in that police car and my mom is weeping. 
Out of all the years that my biological father was so abusive to my mother, she never wept like this before. She never cried like this before. And, and literally she was, the weeping was so deep down to like the depth of her soul. Like she was crying. You know why? Because for the first time, her boys that she'd been working around the clock, working so hard just to put rice and beans on the table, working seven days a week, trying to get from point A to point B, trying to find some type of hope uh, for her kids, the opportunity for her kids. Now, all of a sudden, we're the ones and we break her heart. The weeping was because her heart was broken. And I remember that day. We go off, we go to the uh, jail and, and Ray and I were just thinking, you know, we're in the corner and these kids were like huge. And I remember even the police officers, they kind of separated us because, um, because we were like small kids. Like we were small. Like I, you know, we were like, we were like, we were super small, you know, <laughs> and these kids, these juvie kids, I mean, they were like six foot, you know, and they're like saliva's coming out. It's like, oh, new meat, you know, and my brother and I were like, oh, you know, we're all into, I remember we started doing um, uh, karate, tongue sudo, and we're like, we're trying to figure out what this was going to look like. And I'll tell you, we were scrappers, okay? I'm going to tell you, we were scrappers. We did a lot of fighting in LA, not because we wanted to, it's just because we had to, you know, we were the little kids in the corner and some, some tool out there wanted to like show their manhood and they wanted to beat up on the little kids in the corner, you know? So we learned how to fight a lot, but I'll tell you what, they were like everywhere. It was like, you know, there were like 10 of them, you know, we're just trying to do the Kung Fu fight and stuff. So they separate us, they put us in a different room. And, and I'll tell you, that was, um, I remember that moment of silence and my brother's, you know, in one corner, I'm in another corner. And I thought to myself, there's gotta be something more to life than all of this, you know? And, um, and, you know, I thought about all of the bad decisions that I made. I thought about how my, my mom's heart was broken. And then all of a sudden in the jail, in the cell, it was the first time I had ever, ever, ever heard a voice that said, I have plans for you. And I know you by name. I have plans for good and not for evil. Plans so that you will win and persevere, not to lose, not to fail. And I just remember just in the corner and I'm just thinking like, what is this? What's going on? You know, and, 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 and it was the first time that all of a sudden I just had like chills all over my body. And I was thinking, what's going on here? You know, it's like, what is this voice? But you know what? The reality is, is that I knew without a shadow of a doubt that it was truth being spoken in and through me. Like I, and it was a, it was a decision point that I had to believe. I didn't know what that voice was. I had no idea what was going on, but what I did know was that at that very moment, I believed it. And um, so my brother and I are sitting and we're talking and, and, um, and at this point, you know, I had heard the voice um, a few times now and um, always trying to communicate with me always trying to kind of vector my life, always trying to help shape the decision-making process that I had, you know? And finally, I'm talking, to, I'm talking to Ray and I'm like, hey, listen, you know, we got to get out of here. We got to do something with our lives, you know? And then he and I are thinking, okay, well, what are we going to do? He's like, you know what? Everybody's got a gift. And here's that one gift, man. This is the one gift. I was like, you know, you notice that, that you know, out of all the times that cops ever ran after us, they never caught us. They never caught us. 
It's like, we can run, man. What if we could do something with our athletic ability and we actually use this gift? Now, I remember we got out and all of a sudden, you know, and, and fast forward and, and, and things happen. And my biological father like kidnaps us. And then in the middle of the night, you know, uh, we end up running away. I mean, this is a, this was a crazy, we can literally do a full message on just the night that my biological father ended up showing up at the school. And we're like, oh my gosh, he's here. And, and we were forced to go in with him. And then we went to his apartment. It was crazy. And how we ended up getting out of there. And I just remember mom packing up all of her stuff, all in this Volkswagen bug. And if it didn't fit in the Volkswagen bug, we didn't take it. We move all the way to Florida. And I just remember how we started to start applying this gift of running. And we didn't just start running like, we started running like 10 miles, 20 miles a week, 30 miles a week. Before you know it, Ray and I were running a hundred miles a week, a hundred miles a week, man. And all that rage, all that bitterness, all that anger, all that frustration, everything that I had ever experienced, boom, I used it as fuel so that every time I would hear those voices and I would hear like, I wasn't good enough. I wasn't fast enough. I wasn't strong enough. I would fuel, 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 fuel. And I just started hammering that road, hammering the streets, hammering uh, the dirt roads, just hammering and hammering and hammering it and all just every single day. And I was an angry, angry kid. And eventually, man, after a while, like, look, anybody out there, if you start running hundred miles a week, you start running a hundred mile weeks, so you're either going to break or you're going to be bad to the bone. Well, <laughs> Thank God I never broke. And one day my brother and I, we become the fastest runners in the state of Florida. I ended up becoming undefeated in the mile my senior year. And I and Ray and I, we became junior Olympians and ultimately representing the U.S. on international soil. And people were like, dude, what happened? I was like, man, I just used that one gift that I had and I started focusing. And here's the crazy thing. Every time, you know, I, every time I would win, and I would go into these big stages. Every time I would look at myself um, and, and I, I felt so empty. I remember graduating high school, I was a 2.0 guy, right? And <laughs> I received all these scholarships. And I remember I was like, man, I was, going to, I was going to go to college, right? I was going to go to college, man. I was going to go to college, man, right? Like I never even thought about college, man. I'm going to college and I'm going to an institution in the United States and, and I remember my mom, you know, and she was telling me about, you know, how proud of a, she was with me. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and I could remember right off the bat. Now I'm thinking, man, how proud I am. But I heard a voice and that voice wasn't the same voice that I heard in juvie. I heard this voice that said, you'll never amount to anything without your father. And I immediately thought about my biological father. And it's like this dichotomy, right? Like I'm thinking about that voice. It's like, but what about that voice? When I was in juvie, when he said, well, what about that voice that, that there's good plans, uh, plans to win and not for evil, not to lose, but to win in life. What does that mean? That there are good plans that I could experience peace and I can experience joy in my life. What is going on? And it was this dichotomy. And then I remember getting out of the bathroom and I'm talking to my mom. She says, listen to me, Francisco. That's right. First name is Francis, right? Try being raised in, in, in downtown Los Angeles with a name like Francis, okay? Right? That's how I got scrapping. And I just remember at that point that, um, you know, um, what uh, I just thought, uh, she's talking to me and she goes, don't you forget, 
Francisco, that when you go off to college and you go out there and you run, it's going to be tough. But don't you ever forget where you come from. And don't you ever forget that when you're out there, you're not just representing yourself, you're representing your family. And when you're out there and you're running and you're going to class and you're doing all that stuff, you remember that you're one of many, many of your community that never got a chance. So you represent your people. Don't you ever, ever forget where you came from. I'm telling you, man, my mom is so awesome. <laughs> she, she is, she's, you know, to this very day, man, like, you know, um, the simple truths are so profound, you know, and, uh, and even right now, I just think about how awesome, you know, my mom was, you know, in the midst of, you know, all the chaos and, and craziness that was happening in my life. My mom always had these simple truths to never forget where you come from, that she believed in me. And no matter how hard it was that, that we're going to be able to get through it. And it's so true. So I, I'm just believing what she has to say. I'm embracing that voice that I heard in juvie and I'm, I'm moving forward. And so uh, I finally graduate high school and I, and I, I, I get to college. So I'll pause there for a split second, but that's, that's, that's the first half of my life because the second one, that's now, now we're transitioning to a different chapter, right? Like I finally got out. I finally got out of the house and I finally grew up and now I'm going off to college. You know what I mean? Again, I get, I get referred to uh, you and I'm listening to your stuff. I'm like, oh man, this guy is going to be absolutely magnificent, man. Just a magnificent person. Never fails. The moment we start talking, there's that magnificent person that made you a magnificent person and the life stories. I mean, there's already so many life stories, right? Like pound the pavement, get that negativity out of there. Somebody believed in you, supported you. I mean, ah, these are just the best success stories. I don't know. I know. I'm pretty sure I know where you're going with this. One thing I do want to throw in, because I think this is coming in the second chapter of the life here was one of these things that you, you had talked about, you were allowed to fail. You were allowed to have all of these things. You know what I'm talking about there? Yeah, that's right. Tr trust me on that one. That, so that is a very, very powerful and potent piece oh, that I would actually experience when I was coming back from the Corngall Valley. Yes. Don't you forget that. That's the best one ever. That, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and we'll, we will totally get to that. And uh, no, because that's very, very important. A lot of people don't realize that God is in control. And he allows us to make choices. And there's a reason why he allows us to make choices, right? And the reality is, is that we don't see the whole, the whole picture until you finally take a step back and you reflect going, okay, where exactly was God in, you know, in my path, right? I'm an imperfect person trying to seek a, a, a perfect one, right? I'm an imperfect person trying to share a perfect message. So there's all this, this imperfection, how God perfectly orchestrates the symphony in your life, right? Um, uh, for me, I just know that as I was going on and God was completely allowing choices to being made and opening up doors and, and blindly, I'm just going through them, not knowing that he's orchestrating this incredible symphony in my particular life, this journey. And I remember I go to college, I'm running, I'm running, uh, um, in, in an incredible way. And, and I mean, I had my ups, I had my downs. And, you know, and I remember I, I had a full scholarship and we were just talking about this. It was the number one school in the country. We won the national championships. And then the, the coach there was a total jerk, you know, and, <laughs> and, you know, I was the fifth fastest miler, you know, on, on, on this, uh, uh, on his team, I was like the eighth fastest two miler. I mean, and, and my times were like blazing speed. I'd registered a 408 mile, you know, and, and I still wasn't even fast enough to be one of his top four runners, you know, uh, and even for the two miles, I mean, 
and, and, and running at altitude was really hard for this Florida kid, you know, <laughs> right. like we yes. were like training at 10,000 feet and it was just really hard to transition out. But anyway, afterwards, um, I had, I had, um, uh, some challenges there and I finally ended up, um, you know, I ended up quitting, uh, running and it was a terrible, terrible, terrible decision. And I just came back home with my tail between my legs and I remember I'm just lifeguarding and I'm just trying to figure out what's next. And I felt really sorry for myself because the coach was a jerk and, um, you know, and, and my pride was a bit, uh, was a bit injured there. And, you know, I've always had a problem with rejection. You know, I've always had a problem. I felt rejected from, you know, my, my biological father. I felt rejected from teachers. I felt rejected from people where I was born and raised. I've always felt kind of rejected. And, um, and so for me, that really had kind of an impact. So I'm sitting there. And I'm lifeguarding and I feel like a total loser. Not that there's anything wrong with lifeguarding. I just know that I had a full scholarship and I dropped out. And so I feel like a loser. And my mom's like, why did you drop out? I was like, I, you know, sometimes life gets hard. And sometimes, you know, sometimes we get knocked down, right? And this is like super important for your listeners out there and your viewers. Like, you know, if I stayed... And I decided just to, you know, wash my hands and, and quit on the very opportunities that God had given to me, then, 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 then I was a quitter. But, you know, I realized that I just got hit real hard, man. And I remember um, a good friend came, he talk, uh, he, she talked to me, and she just said, you know, I, I got to talk to you about Jesus. And she gave me this whole gospel message, and God had been luring me, luring me, luring me, luring me. And my ears and my eyes were open, because I got knocked down hard. And I remember she gave me that gospel and I was like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'll follow Jesus. And I made a commitment to him. And all of a sudden I had this uh, great clarity that I'd never had before. And I just remember I'm sitting there in that room with the sun kind of beaming through and I felt God moving in, in, in inside me. And I realized um, the power of this, his spirit. And I just heard him put your shoes back on. And I put my shoes back on and I had quit like running. I'm talking about like, I hadn't ran for like months. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm done. I'm not running this. I hate this. And I remember just putting my shoes back on and I just started running. But this time I was running for a different reason. And, um, and I just started running and I started looking for all these schools and no one would touch me. I mean, when you, when you, uh, you know, no one would touch me. And then all of a sudden I get this call from a university. It was a solid school. It's like, Hey, we're trying to win the national championship. So this is like a pickup game. All right. We're going from JV to Farsi. You all you in? I'm like, I'm in, I pack up all my stuff, got my scholarship. And I, I headed right up to, uh, 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 to Illinois, uh, uh, up in the outskirts of Chicago. And we went to a great school, and in uh, that year, our team was uh, runners up in the cross country championship. So we did really good, great work up there. And, uh, but there, I didn't focus on running. I focused on my academics. What you just shared was very important. Arnold Schwarzenegger, I was just reading a forward and he says, I am not a self-made man. I'm not a self-made man. And I've always understood and embraced what that meant. There were professors at the university that embraced me and they realized I had academic potential. And I started for the first time really focusing on my academics, less on my running, even though I did very well in, in, in collegiate sports. I started focusing on that. 
And I started kind of like focusing on my pursuit um, spiritually and academically. So I graduate. Now I finally graduate. I'm the first one with a four-year degree, you know, uh, my brother and I, and uh, my mom comes up and she's crying. She's like, okay, I'm so proud of you, you know? <laughs> and, she, and, and, and I remember just kind of standing up, putting my chest up, and I'm just thinking I finally accomplished something. And I'm still- I, I would have liked to have seen that look on her face. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was, uh, she was super proud. My mother was a very proud mother. And, and you know what? Unfortunately, I looked at myself in the mirror and when I looked at myself in the mirror, I didn't feel proud anymore. I didn't see the accomplishments that I had done. I didn't see that I was a junior Olympian. I didn't see that I was one of the top runners in the nation in the 800 meters. I didn't see any of that. All I heard was my biological voice, uh, my biological father speaking again, that I would never amount to anything without him, without my father. And I don't know, you know, I guess it's just this validation thing. Finally, after that, my mom goes, so what are you going to do? And I'm like, man, I'm thinking about, uh, I'm thinking about all the good things that our country has provided, you know, when we didn't have a place to live, right. Uh, our country provided, uh, when we didn't have enough money for food, our, our country provided. And I think you already know, I'm like, I'm reflecting on what I should do. And I decide, you know what? My nation's always been there for me. Now it's time for me to be there for my nation. And I decided to join the United States Marine Corps. So there's the next chapter of my life going into <laughs> the U.S. military. And everyone's like, man, five foot nothing, a hundred nothing. Man, trust me, like when I was running in college, I was like 135 pounds soaking wet. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, that when you're running like thousands of miles, man, you don't weigh much, man. I used to like, yeah, I'm 142. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and uh, w- which is a far, far distance than, than what I weigh today at 170, you know, 175, you know, but, uh, uh, but yeah, so I really enjoyed it. I started off by uh, joining the United States Marine Corps and that was the newest chapter of my life. You know, it is kind of interesting when, when I was, when I was reading your story, there was so much accomplishment and then when I heard your story, I was like, man, you know what? I can definitely see that I'm not good enough creeping in. And I could also feel that I'm going to prove everyone wrong. And those are my absolute favorite, favorite stories. I mean, that's why we all watch Rocky, right? Everybody watches Rocky. You know, even though he's getting the crap kicked out of him, you know he's coming back at the end. And it's timeless, and, and that is, again, your story. And then the other thing I, I often find really unique about these is, you know another guest that we had on, Chad Williams, and yep. it's, it's, a, it's a similar story. And what's really fun about the similarities of the story is just how well your lives turned out, all with the same avenue. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, everybody is going to experience some form of uh, a challenge in their life, you know, and some more than others. And, and you said something kind of earlier on, you know, it's the Rocky stories. Um, I'll tell you that I've gone through a lot of pain, man. You know, um, just, if you know, if you, if you just walk through the streets of downtown Los Angeles and that was your home and, you know, you deal with an abusive family, um, when you, when your first language is Spanish and, uh, you struggle academically, and, and you see F's and D's and, um, and then they just pass you because it's just part of the process. Uh, when you get kicked out of places, you know, um, when you get into a lot of fights, uh, when you see your mom struggling, 
Um, I mean, I've seen my mom at her best and I've seen her at her absolute worst, you know? Um, you know, and I, I think that, you know, adversity has, has really fashioned me, you know, my, my weapon. And I'll tell you that if it wasn't for um, the challenges that I've gone through and somehow some way gone through it, I wouldn't be the man that I am today. I, I am strong and I am fearless. And, um, and, be, and it's because um, of the challenges that I have overcome, you know, by God's grace, you know, and I, and because of uh, th this veracity and um, tenacity and uh, just this ferocious approach to life allows me to uh, do bigger and, 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 and more. Um, and I don't do it for myself. I mean, there's a million things that I could be doing in my life, especially after my retirement, after 20 years of special operations, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, multiple deployments. There's a lot that I could be doing. I could be contracting. I could be making so much money, but I choose instead. I go, no, you know, my, my driver is not going to be cash. My driver is going to be impact. Like, I mean, because you only get one life, man. Like you, that's a lot of times that people don't realize they always wait to the end of their lives. And like, man, I look back now and you're like, man, I, I made these decisions based off of the wrong influences. Like, you know, because now, you know, life is, it's, it's just about over, right? You're, you're now in the fourth quarter of your life where now other people are taking care of you, right? The first quarter people are taking care of you and you just, you're just hoping and praying you can get out of the house, right? <laughs> you can be self-sustaining, you know, like now I'm 18. Thank goodness I could get out, right? And then the second quarter is when you're building yourself and, you know, you're, 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 you're establishing your career. You're making these decisions. You're building a family, right? And it's the third quarter, right? The third quarter. This is when you're starting like, you know, reaping the fruits of your labor, right? And, and, and you, are the, you are the best that you will ever be. Maybe not as good looking, but I challenge right. that. Like, I'm always like, no, <laughs> oil of Olay is keeping me young, baby. Okay. So, you know, I've been <laughs> sponsored by them by 10 years. I'm just kidding about that. Okay. But, uh, but oil of LA, if you want, I'll, I'll be yeah, honest, I'm willing to do this sponsorship. But anyway, um, the reality is, is that now I'm in my third quarter. And, you know, when I was after 20 years of special of military, I thought to myself, what are you going to do? Let me tell you something, man. Well, on my deathbed, I want to make sure and clear conscious that I went to the ends of the earth that I was wholeheartedly committed with everything that was entrusted in me. And I want to go into the night. I want to close my eyes knowing full well that I made an atomic impact. And not just for the nation, but for the kingdom of God. And you know what? If you can have that epiphany at 40-something years old, and every decision that you make is based off of that, it changes the way that you live life. And I'll tell you, sometimes though, it is in catastrophic moments that that happens. Mm -hmm. So when I joined the Marine Corps, I had no idea that I would go to war. It was 2000. 2001 happens, we see the Twin Towers get attacked. Nowadays, everybody's forgotten. 9-11, two planes going on our towers, right? We are literally attacked changes the trajectory of American, you know, of, of where America was going. We never thought this would happen. Boom. Now we're going to war. 2003, I'm part of the invasion. First time ever that I was part of killing. I mean, it's one thing to be shooting targets with these little green things. Yeah. 
It's another when you're actually engaging and they're shooting at you and you're shooting at them. You're dropping bombs, you're blowing stuff up, you know, bodies are all over the place. I came back from that deployment and I was changed, you know, and that's what happens in war. And I, I completely changed before I could sleep forever. Now I was having sleep issues and I, I was different. And after five and a half years, I went into, uh, uh, so I, I joined the Marine Corps and, uh, you know, and uh, I was uh, accepted. I went to second force recon, like the premier elite unit in the, in the Marine Corps. And I remember just looking at myself in the mirror and I remember um, still hearing that voice that I was not good enough, that I never amount to anything without my father. And you would think that becoming a Marine Corps officer going through, going to combat, getting accepted at the top program in the Marine Corps. I could look at myself in the face and say, I am good enough. I am strong enough. I am fast enough. But for some reason, whatever happened, that the voice of my biological father had made such an impact in my life that it was still driving a lot of my decisions. And it was. Finally, I remember... Um, I'm going through this. Uh, I'm going through this parking lot, and I see this Air Force recruiter, and he's like, "Hey, Marine," and I was like, "Hoorah!" Right? Because that's what we do. You just call us. Right. You can say, you know, Captain Freeman, "Hoorah!" <laughs> you know, "Hey, Devil Dog," Rawr! you know. He's like, you know, Marine, kill. That those are like the three. <laughs> you know, so you're allowed to like, or kill, or hoorah. Those three are completely. It's part of like. Uh, the dictionary in the Marine Corps, all right, and, 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 and they're universal, all right, used in different adjectives and nouns and pronouns, like the whole thing, very universal. And, um, and he said, looked at me and goes, you ever thought about um, joining the Air Force? And I was like, why would in the world would I ever want to join the Chair Force? Right. And he's like, oh, oh, no, that's funny. And he kind of was like, and he knows, you know, if you're a Marine, you like to destroy things. Okay. <laughs> so if, you, if you're a Marine, if you're, if you're, in fact, I would almost like argue, like, listen, you know, part of a checkoff for, for being a man, like, do you like to destroy things? Like, does it feel good to <laughs> blow things up? If you don't say yes, I, I question what kind of man are you? You know what I'm saying? Like, well, we like to blow stuff up. Look, you know, <laughs> destroy. Okay. Blow stuff up. It's always fun to blow something up. It's like, yeah. It's like, Hey, what would you think about jumping from a perfectly good airplane at 25,000 feet on oxygen with night vision goggles? I was like, he goes in the middle at zero dark 30 in austere environment. I was like, what, what are you talking about? He goes, uh-huh, now I got your, uh, your attention from the chair force, okay? <laughs> what about being a, a combat diver and you're doing an amphibious assault with uh, um, you know, elite units and, and literally infiltrating uh, through the beach and then doing two in the chest and one in the head. I was like, does this really exist? He goes, you know, I asked you, you like to blow stuff up? I'm like, I already said that you know that I like to blow stuff up. He's like, what if I told you that you know, within the Air Force Special Warfare community, every combat controller becomes a demolition expert and you become um, proficient in every weapon known to man and every vehicle to insert, to hit that target and hit it hard. Would you be interested then? I was like, he goes, before you answer, devil dog, need to ask you a question. He goes, you familiar with Star Wars? I'm like, yeah. He goes, what if I told you that every combat controller gets a lightsaber? I was like, what? What are you talking about? Lightsaber? 
He's like, don't you be playing games with me? He's like, no, I'm serious. He goes, you had me at lightsaber, baby. And there I was. I signed on the bottom line. I went through a three-year uh, program through this training evolution, and I became free fall uh, qualified combat dive, FAA, air traffic controller, uh, demolition, and the whole thing, just like he said, training every weapon known to man. And I'm sitting there, and I'm getting my checkoffs, and I just remember that I finally, finally made it. And I, and I got the green light, and I'm getting ready to go to war. And I remember specifically that night, man, and he keeps coming up. And I'm looking at myself, and I'm like, man, I finally made it. I'm going to go off. I'm going to be the tip of the spear. I'm going to grab a big old beard and we're going to do, we're going to hunt down high value targets, the most dangerous men in the whole world. And I get to do it. And I, I was like, man, I'm so, I'm so proud of myself. And guess, guess, guess I look at voice. myself in the mirror. What do you think I'm hearing? The voice, the voice, man. I never amount to anything without my father. Never amount to anything. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't fast enough. And you would think that by now I'd have gotten my head out of the stand. And that I, that I would finally like reject that false narrative that continues to be some type of formation in my life. Um, but it wasn't. And so I went to, uh, you know, started uh, multiple deployments, Afghanistan, Iraq. And I'm telling you, I got busted up pretty bad, particularly with mild traumatic brain injury, a lot of concussions, uh, dropping lots of bombs, a lot of demolition. And it was just literally rocking my, my brain. I ended up um, getting surgery, multiple procedures, uh, my ankle, my knee, my shoulders. And I was going through a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of um, uh, nausea, um, you know, sensitivity to the light. And, 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 it get, and it got worse and worse after every concussion. And I just remember praying for war. Now, listen, this is very important. Every man has their own sin. Every man has like this, idea or this concept of, oh, you know, if I could just accomplish that, then I'm the man. Like I can finally look at myself and all the other men can look at me and I'll be proud that you would read about me and go, man, that's a man of action. That right there is a man of action. I want to be just like him. Look at what he did on the battlefield. Look at how he dodged them bullets and rocket propelled grenades and started blowing up enemy all around. So I said, that's what I was praying for, for war. And you know what? And I say this to everybody out there, you better watch out what you ask for. You better watch out what you pray for because God may in fact, just give it to you. I was praying for a mission of a lifetime, surround my enemy so I could justify myself as a hero of heroes. All of a sudden, get the phone call. General McChrystal's flying into the Cornwall Valley and uh, they need the lead fire support. And I was selected to go. So here I am with a couple of other combat controllers, two special forces team, a dozen aircraft, all the artillery in the world, all the arsenal, all of the munitions, all the bombs, all in the palm of my hand, all the power in the palm of my hand. So I'm going in and I'm flying in and I figured this is the time of a lifetime. This is the mission of a lifetime. If I could get through this and tell those stories and get those awards, then I'll finally, finally have fulfillment in my life. I'll feel whole. And so there I am. Seven days we're on foot. Seven days we're out there in the Korngal. Seven days and for three days, for 72 hours, I didn't sleep. And it was on immediately blowing up one machine gun position after another. And I'm telling you after 72 hours, I didn't sleep not one second. Now look, 
there's a lot that happened in the Cornwall Death Valley. And it's actually called, it's dubbed the Death Valley. And I just remember one of the life altering changes in my life is that we literally, we Winchestered every aircraft, every aircraft, every aircraft. That means that an aircraft goes overhead and there's literally, we have all of the bombs on that aircraft and then we drop them off and then they leave with nothing on their wings, okay? And I remember, man, that all of a sudden the machine gun positions were overhead of some of the friendly forces. And, I, and you have to understand the Korngal, the cop, the combat outpost is literally 75 meters by 150. That's it. And then you're surrounded by the enemy throughout the entire valley, all higher ground. They're coming over hundreds all around within the seven day period. And then you have the, uh, the, the, the villagers there and they hate you. Okay. They hate the Taliban, but they hate you more. So now they're friends of the Taliban. So we don't even know who the enemy is. And I just remember this one point, machine gun position overhead. We had, win we had literally dropped all the bombs and this time was different. The machine gun head was overhead and, um, and, and, and uh, the ground forces right at the bottom. It was 65 meters from bottom to top to, the, uh, to their position. All right, correction, 95 meters, but 65 meters this way. So we're sitting there, we're doing a danger close. Danger close means that it's so close that literally friendly forces are gonna get injured, right? If you don't, if you don't do this right, friendlies are gonna die. Mm -hmm. And I just remember at that one point in time, man, I was so stressed out, hadn't slept for, for days. And I realized that if I didn't make the decision quickly, our men are gonna die. If I don't make a decision quickly, um, the enemy is going to capitalize. If I don't make this decision with precision, our friendlies are going to die. And it was at that very moment that all of a sudden I cried out to God, pause. This is super important. Mm -hmm. You know, I talked to you that back in college, I accepted Christ as my savior, that I decided to follow Jesus. The biggest problem that I had between my college years to now a full grown man at 35 years old is that I never walked. I never, I never, I never found a team that I could grow spiritually and learn more about who God is and my ultimate purpose. I was never properly equipped and I never had like that real relationship, like the way that we have in the military community, right? I never learned how to defend my position spiritually. And I surely didn't know how to, 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 um, to, to, to get after it against in any, any type of opposition or enemy that would try to destroy my life. And so all the way up to this point, I was a pathetic excuse as a Jesus follower. But I'll tell you this much. God is so faithful because when I cried out to him and all of a sudden I cleared that bomb, time stood still. And, you know, I'm not like a, a charismatic person. I'm not like, you know, I, I, I know I'm not crazy, but I know as a fact, the time stood still and God spoke to me. That very, very voice that I heard in Juvie and all these other subtle sounds throughout my life came in full, 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 like, like full on. It says, I have plans for you. Plans to win and not to lose, to persevere, not to fail. And I remember just calling out to God. I said, God, 
if you protect my men, if you protect us, if you get us out of this death valley, I will know without a shadow of a doubt it's by your hands and in your divine power alone. And right there was like the matrix. And a lot of people out there, if they're younger, they're not going to know what I'm talking about. But the matrix is like, I remember when Neo took the red pill and he was unplugged in the system. And all of a sudden there was all this communication going on. And it was right there in that one moment. It's like all this data was going on. And it was like about all of the issues that I was going on in my life. And it was there that we talked about earlier on. And I'm like crying out to God, I'm dropping this bomb and I, and I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know what's next. And all of a sudden God is speaking to me. He says, I have allowed all of the things that happen in your life. I purposefully inserted you into Los Angeles to have a father, to have a mother. I allowed that abuse to happen, but I also gave you a wonder woman. I gave her strength and courage and boldness to show you what, what strength looks like. What does it mean to be tenacious and to be uh, unfailing, to always, always fight through whatever objective or obstacle that you may have. I gave you the speed and the strength to run, to run and to run and to run, to give you this gift to, to, to get a full scholarship. I gave you the, the strength and the courage so that you could be a Marine. I gave you and equipped you to be a machine in, this, in the United States military. I gave you even more specific weapons, more specific skills, more, more of all that so that you would be in special operations. I mean, that's like the 1% of the 1% of those that joined the United States military. I gave you all of those, all for one reason. So that you wouldn't just do the nation's bidding, but you would do the kingdom bidding. I allowed all of those things to happen, to be the man that you are today. And all of a sudden, like that one very moment, he goes, and I gave you my son, the commander of the universe to lead you. That no matter what the opposition looked like, it didn't matter what the enemy was, that he would lead you right through whatever ambush that would happen, that he would give you the strength, the courage, the boldness, and that you would literally persevere. He says, I have allowed all these things. And it was at that very one moment that I realized, and I, and I felt like God was just speaking to me. And it was that one moment of clarity. And that was this, that my biological father was right, that I would never amount to anything without my father, but it wasn't my biological father. It was my father in heaven. And all of that is happening. All of that is happening right there. And then boom, you know, it's like time goes back and boom, that, that, that uh, 500 pound bomb, boom, shack, perfect. All friendlies are safe. All of a sudden, another machine gun position, boom, shack, perfect. Then we were firing hellfires, boom, shack, perfect, boom. And all of a sudden, like, it just felt like God's divine hand because you have to understand that when you're this close and you're doing it multiple times, it is so dangerous. It's like only God could have protected our men. Every one of those men and every, every, every soldier and every, every operator ended up leaving that Death Valley in seven days. And we didn't lose one dude. And that was without a shadow of a doubt by God's divine hand alone. And I remember being on that Black Hawk and I'm coming home and all that reality is coming in. All that reality is setting in. It says, Damon, you made a commitment. You made a commitment in the Death Valley. You said that if God would protect you and your, and your men and all of you all would come home, you know that it was by his divine hand and you would serve him the rest of your life. 
Now, what are you going to do about it? Boom! I'm like, whoa, dude, I'm finally coming home, man. I made it out of this seven-day craziness, you know, 72 hours of firefighting, dropping bombs like hellacious. And like now, now I'm coming home, right? And I'll tell you, man, it was, um, that was definitely a, a transition time in my life. And, um, and that was the moment when I was really dealing with a lot of uh, my post-traumatic stress. But it was different now because now I was realizing that I wasn't alone. God was there in the midst. And now I wasn't doing the leading. I was doing the following. And Jesus, the commander of the universe, was leading. Man, that's why I love this story. Oh, my God. I mean, it's just so, it, it's incredible. And, and you know, I, I wish, obviously, you've had the story. You've gotten to talk to probably thousands and thousands of people, as I have. It always comes down to this, man. It always comes down to this. When life is, it, this gets so crazy that there's no way out. And, and, you know, here's the crazy part, man. I mean, I can feel your pain when you talk about that. I can hear it. But here's where I want to ask you the question. Was it that night when those bombs dropped? Was that the last time you heard that voice? You're not good enough? Yeah, it was the last time. Because what happened in the Death Valley was it was the, it was the dying of that voice. Because my driving ideology is something way more powerful than that, is that the God of the universe, 7.8 billion people in the whole world, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that he does know me by name. And when he brought me into this world, he was very, very precise and very strategic at such a time as this. And he fashioned me in such a way to be instrumental in not just the nation, but in the kingdom. And I've embraced it. You know, there's a lot of voices out there, man. A lot of voices. And the real question is, is which one are you listening to? I'm listening to the God of the universe who has given me a purpose. And that purpose is this, to be a freedom fighter. It never, ever changes, regardless of what chapter it is in my life. In that chapter back in the military, I was a freedom fighter to fight for those that were oppressed and to fight for those that can't fight for themselves. That was my mission as a freedom fighter. Today, I'm fighting freedom and oppression through suicide. Like right now, over 20 veterans are taking their lives every single day. And the God of the universe is saying, have hope in me. There is hope. You do have purpose. And I have a mission to radically change and transform the world. And it begins one life at a time. When I came back from the Cornwall Valley, I stopped listening to that. I had a lot of issues that I had to deal with. And I went through a lot of healing, a lot of healing. And it was psychological, physical, social, and spiritual, right? And the reality is, is that was the impetus of saying, well, after a year and a half of like care, and let me tell you, in my 20 years in my career, I spent over a year in the hospital or on medical leave recovering from my injuries. And I've had a lot of really awesome people and a lot of resources uh, actually invested in me to get me back on my feet and dealing with post-traumatic stress, uh, the disorder, the uh, concussions, uh, sleep, uh, insomnia, uh, uh, chronic pain, back, head, all over my body. I, there's just been a lot of really great people that helped me. And so today is actually... Um, you know, this is my new mission against suicide. And, and I got to a place where it was really, really dark, where I questioned, you know, what's my purpose for living? So, you know, it's like what the enemy meant for bad, God meant for good. What the enemy said that I'd never amount to anything without my father, God said, clearly you're correct, but it's my father in heaven. 
And so as I was, you know, serving in the military with my multi-can uniform back in the day, now I, I take off that uniform and I put on a new one and it's black, right? Like I got, I got my Batman suit on, right? And I'm fighting a new enemy and it's an invisible enemy. And it's an enemy that's oppressing our men and women who sign on the bottom line. And now that's how I'm being a freedom fighter. I'm fighting suicide and I'm combating it. And we're winning every single day because God has a plan for every person out there. And I get to fight in this, uh, in this arena. And we're super excited about all the impact, the powerful, positive impact that we're making in the nation. Yeah, oh, man. You, I, I, dude, I mean, we don't know each other that well, but I absolutely love you. I mean, that it, that you just your story, your passion, the, the humbleness, the, you know, the openness, the, you know, open, full kimono, man, telling it like it is. I mean, how many kids out there are struggling with this stuff? And this is why I do what I do. I want everybody to see this. And I believe if every single person watched just this one podcast right here, so many people would change. You, you, you've given so much hope. I mean, you're, I, it just goes without saying, man, you're just, you're literally a, a living hero. And that is something that everyone needs to see. It's, it's, it's so, so powerful because you had every reason not to be where you're at right now. You also wrote a book. You're an author too. I mean, man, you got medals. You got you got everything, and now you got a book too. Tell me about this book. I do. So, um, yeah, super stoked, right? Igniting movements, and uh, it's it's uh, it's really for world changers. If if you're out there, and you know you're looking for a plan of attack, um, a pragmatic plan, um, and um, this is the book for you. It inspires leaders to. Uh, and gives you a plan, uh, leadership lessons, uh, driving ideology, organizational constructs, strategic output. This is for predominantly nonprofit leaders. And that's who I consult with. I've been doing this for a couple of years. And it's actually United Movements is a product of my dissertation. Four years, my life work, uh, all research based, looking at historical movements uh, from Western culture. And these movements are uh, humanitarian, missiological in, in, um, in terms. And they went out and did some awesome stuff and changed the world for good, changed the trajectory of, of humankind. And so that's what we do. We're empowering people. So if somebody wants to actually do something good for the world and make a positive impact, uh, this is the perfect book for you. And a super, a lot of leadership lessons on some of the greatest leaders, um, you know, and the characteristics and the common critical factors necessary in order to ignite a movement. So if you're out there and you have a nonprofit or a group and you don't feel like it's moving forward, um, this book right here, I studied over a hundred movements and we're gleaning from some facts and I kind of established a rubric and some really practical ways to kind of apply and, uh, and get that fire started, you know? You know, companies should be crazy not to hire you on to, to motivate and just come in and tell this story because it's, Man, no matter where you're at in the company, you, you even mentioned it. You know, if you want to be the CEO, if you want to be this, I mean, all these life lessons. How would somebody get a hold of you to come speak? Yeah, so all you have to do is go to DamonFriedman.com. DamonFriedman.com right there is my page. And you'll learn all about me uh, as a keynote speaker, a veteran advocate, uh, as an author. And I've been super blessed. Um, you know, uh, I'm a chairman of a national alliance, the, uh, which uh, we serve a little under 1 million veterans, and we advocate for all the 20 million veterans in America. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing, DamonFriedman.com. It's easy to find me. And I know that we're winding down, and I kind of just want to just do a call out, if that'd be okay with you, brother. 100%. 
So um, here's the reality, man, for all of the listeners out there uh, that please hear me. Um, I'm super blessed that we have this nonprofit. And what we do is we have these clinics. It's called the Be Resilient Clinics. We're having them. Uh, we have them here in Florida. And our clinics are for warriors that are struggling um, uh, with hope, purpose, um, suicidal, um, uh, and they have injuries. And I want you to know that these clinics are absolutely for free. Uh, it's very expensive. It's a little under $50,000 for me to run a one-week intensive. We have 15 therapists that come. But hey, check it out. Right. We have all these at a national resort. That's right. So you can come and heal. You don't have to go to a hospital, come to a national resort, the Saddlebrook Resort. And there we have uh, physicians, chiropractors, cognitive therapists, acupuncture, physical therapy, massage therapy, mental health counselors, recreational therapists, strength and conditioning coaches, spiritual mentors, nutritionists, social reintegration. We even do adaptive golf therapy. So listen, here's the deal. If you're out there and you're hurting, man, all this right here. Okay, you, you go to sofmissions.org forward slash help and apply to the resiliency project and our veteran service coordinator will come out uh, we, and we'll communicate and contact you and we can start journeying together. Um, the resiliency project is, is whole health and uh, we wanna help you. You know, uh, we have um, a new clinic coming in 13th to the 18th of May and we're looking for 10 warriors that really need this care. And um, so if you're out there, uh, please go to sofmissions.org. If you feel like you've gone everywhere, but you haven't found any help, now it's our turn. sofmissions.org. We want to help you. We want to journey with you. I know what it's like to hurt. And I know what pain feels like, man. And I want you to know that the God of the universe loves you. He cares about you. And, and you know what? We've got a really awesome plan. We can start together. We can journey once again together. And, uh, and, um, and we'll get through it. So that's my call to action. SOFmissions.org. Man, unbelievable. Dr. Lieutenant Colonel Damon Friedman. Man, this is one of the this is actually was an honor for me to do it. But I, I can't tell you how appreciative I am that you come and share this message. You are dynamic in every single way. I know everybody's gonna get something out of this podcast. I was dying to get this thing, man. And uh, I appreciate you coming on our show and doing it. Thanks a lot, brother. I greatly appreciate it, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to getting back on a, a different time and talking about more of our endeavors and how we're changing the world for good together. Uh, may God bless you and everybody out there, you know, praying for you, and always remember, uh, God has a purpose in your life, and he has a mission. So thanks a lot for allowing uh, me to be on. Thank you so much. <laughs>